Hey, TCAT fans, you've heard me talk about it before, but I love Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app, and they make it so easy to discover something new, something you'll love. Right now, I'm listening to The Teacher, which is an amazing audiobook. It's a thriller, and it's got me on the edge of my seat. With Audible, you can also discover thousands of podcasts from your popular favorites to exclusive new series. And I love the fact that, you know, I can take my titles with me wherever I go and listen to them wherever I want. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And members get full access to a growing selection of included audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can download or stream their included titles all you want. And as a lover of true crime, you're going to find a lot of mystery, thrillers, true crime audiobooks that you will absolutely love. New members can try Audible free for 30 days visit audible.com slash TCAT or text TCAT to 500-500. That's audible.com slash TCAT or text TCATT to And welcome to episode 99 of the True Crime All the Time podcast. I'm Mike Ferguson, and with me, as always, is my partner in True Crime, Mike the Hammer Gibson. Hammer, what's going on? The Hammer. Yeah, I'm calling you the Hammer today. I would use a hammer if I needed to. I, you would use a lot of things if it came to it. Yeah. You're very resourceful. I can't be. I've called you Jason Bourne before. Yeah. You have some of those skills, Liam Neeson, Jason Bourne. Kind of just, it's like Liam with a mask on. You're an amalgamation of a couple of different people. If you want to say that big word, go ahead. I'll, I'll explain it after the show. Yeah. yeah. But how you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing great. I cannot believe we're on episode 99. I can't either. Next week is the big hundo. That's amazing, man. I, I 100. Mean, I remember you and I... Two years ago, sitting around talking about starting this podcast. Yeah, I never would have imagined that we were where we're at. And it just shows you, we haven't taken very many weeks off to get to <laughs> No, we have. I think we've taken off two total. Maybe two. We're probably right. due for, for a full week off here pretty soon. Maybe yeah. around the holidays. Holidays coming up, we might have to. Now, we just got done taping our 10, 15-minute Patreon that we do every week. week. Not a Patreon episode, it's just a... Kind of a riff thing that we tape every week. Yeah, if you're a Patreon member, you get to listen to yeah, it. Yeah, and one thing I forgot to mention on there, Gibbs, was I ordered the chairs. The chairs are on their way. So this time next week, when we're recording, you will be sitting in a brand new, high fashion, functional office chair. Well, you going to give me that one you got in right now? No. I ordered two of the same. Don't give me any shit on this. I'm telling you. You never posted the Amazon proof, so, you know. I didn't order it through Amazon, but when no. it comes in, you know what I am going to do? Do you get it through chairs, like chairs.com? Yeah, sure. Chairs.com. Chairs.com. I you will. need a place to sit, sit on us. I'm going to take some pictures, that's for sure, and they're going to hit social media, because right. I am tired of the- Are you taking the picture at our office 
woe is me. Act like that's what you got. No, I'm taking up the whole studio. Woe is me. I'm sitting on wood slats from 1920. You know what? I don't know if I told you. Somebody pointed out there are some pictures that we took of us in the studio. Yeah. And you can clearly see that we have the same chair. Oh, no, that, that's not the same thing. Yeah, it's clearly. It's very clear. That's 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 not true. All right, Gibbs, let's do our <laughs> Patreon shout-outs. We had Stacy Parks. Hey, Stacy. Dorinda Blasky. Dorinda. Sean McMahon. Hey, Sean. Deb Gran. Awesome. Mark Vucetic. Vucetic. Casey. Yeah. Christina Buck. Thank you. Alyssa Breed. Alex Brown. Julie Essen. Ashley Marble. Kathy Gropp. Lisa Spence. Hey. Taylor Jessica. Two names. Two names. Josh Bruzan. Two first names. They're all two names. Yeah. Bruzan. I like that, though. Skyla Denon. Hey, Skyla. Jared Penvin. Penvin? Nutmeg Tella. That's a interesting... Uh, and I'm not sure I'm putting the emphasis on the right syllable there. Nutmeg Tella. Not sure. John Novick. David Truett, who made our uh, True Crime All Time pins that were very sounds like cool. A Cana- sounds like a Canadian name. Trudet. It's Truett. Oh, like Trudet? No, there's no D in it. You keep wanting to put D in words, names where there's no D. It should be a soft D. Trudet. <laughs> Silent D. Dylan Demelweek. You sure? I. You don't sound confident with that one. It could go a couple of different ways. It could go Demelweek, but I think it's Demelweek. I think it's... Uh, Demelewika. <laughs> That's the one I know it's not. Yeah. Teresa Werner. Hey, Teresa. The Real Mike Gibby. Well, hello there, Mr. Real Mike Gibby. Is calling you out. Alyssa Kirkpatrick. Hey. Robbie Smith. Awesome. Hannah Page. Hey, turn it. Ginger Paul. Did you get it? I did. Turn the page. Yeah, okay. Christy Nash. Hey. Stacy. Just dicey. Megan Crawford. Hey, Megan Crawford. Julie Bailey. Makes me think of a drink for some reason. Because it has the word Bailey in it? Yeah. Like Danielle McCulley. Nightcap or something. Anna Skullstad. Hey, Anna. James Winchcomb. Winch. It sounds like English. Like, uh, James Winchcomb. That was actually not too bad. I like that one better than some of the others. Okay. Old Kimberly Lee. Old. Old Kimberly Lee. Yep. She just put it in there for you. Yeah. Kara Lewis. She's probably like 28. <laughs> probably. Matt Prater. Jesse Spaghetti. Jesse Spaghetti. Aaron. She's Aaron. Kareen Couture. Ooh. She's a very fancy sounding name. Designer. It's a designer name. And if we go back into the vault, Gibbs. This week we selected Andrea Young. Andrea's been a longtime Patreon supporter. So yes, thank you for that. We appreciate that. We appreciate all the new. We appreciate the people that continue to support us month after month. No PayPal this week. So None? No, no names to read off. But I do want to talk about Unsolved, True Crime All-Time Unsolved. This week, we are finishing up, it's out right now, part two on The Monster of Florence. We are. So we got to finish that bad boy. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I did too. And, and I will be honest with you, that was not a case that I knew all that much about before we got into the research. So I did enjoy it. All right. We're gearing up for our big 100th episode. We've already said it's going to be on Big Ed Kemper. We're probably going to cry. It's going to be emotional. 
because it's the hundred. It's hundred. Be tears everywhere. It'd be kind of like people, you know, like when people watch This Is Us, where they cry from watching that show. I don't know what that or is. Be, oh, that's true. Because you don't even like hope floats. No. So. And I don't watch regular TV. So yeah. Well, it'd be a be a joyful, sad, emotional. Not really. There'd be no tears flowing. I was gonna say with you and I, there won't be any tears. No. But I get what you're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of information on Kemper. My my uh, my thought is it's probably going to be a multi-parter. And I tell you, I've been fascinated with Kemper for a long time, even before the Netflix show Mindhunter, but it deepened that. You know, I thought that the actor that played Kemper did an amazing job. I actually oh, thought, I thought he was probably the best. Well, I did too, but I actually thought all of the actors that were playing the killers were really good. And we've already profiled a number of them on TCAT. We did Jerry Brudos. We've done Richard Speck. We've done BTK, who you know drifts in and out of the series in kind of this eerie fashion. Now, there's no actors associated with these, but in the show, they do talk about Herbert Mullen, who we did, and they talk about Son of Sam, David Berkowitz, who we profiled. But there are two killers that were in season one featured besides Kemper that we have not profiled. And they are lesser known murderers. They're no BTK. No, no, they're they're no BTK. They're actually no comparison to any of the other ones in terms of their level of infamy. My original idea was to do an episode on each leading up to 100 when we're going to start Kemper. But, you know, when when we got into the research, there just wasn't that much out there. And definitely not enough to devote a full entire episode to each one. So we decided to do something a little different. We're going to cover them both in this one episode and see what it's like to do two stories in a single episode. Should be fun. Should yeah. be like too many Podcasts in one. I like it. I like the way you think. It's why you and I make a good team. It's exactly why we do. Because whatever I say, you're supposed to say I like it. That's what I do. It's very similar to what I do with my wife. I'm yeah, supposed we to both say. talked. We've kind of realized that when we talk, when you're not around, we're like... <laughs> you guys hashed it out. Yeah. And you've both come to the realization that I just tell her whatever she wants to hear. And we're like, oh, now we a lot of similarities. Between... The relationship I have with her and the relationship I have with you? Yeah. Yeah. A few. I think there's probably some. There's some that definitely don't correlate and cross cross uh no. cross the streams, as you might say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll leave it right there. But you and I have talked about this idea for future episodes, right? There are a lot of cases out there that are extremely interesting. But as you get, as we like to say, down the rabbit hole, you start researching this these cases you quickly realize that there's not enough to get, you know, an hour plus out of a certain subject. So we might try to group two similar type cases or, yeah. you know, two from the same area. I think there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Oh, you're right. And it's something we know, especially on, for me on the unsolved, there's some really good ones, but you know, how do we get it in to get, you know, what everybody wants, you know, the, the, good solid hour. Right. The level of information that we try to, to put, if it's, if it's not there, it's not there. All right. So we're going to start out the episode talking about Monty Rissell. 
And I think what interests a lot of people about Russell Gibbs is just how young he was when he began committing his crimes and then ultimately his murders. I mean, this is a guy whose sexual crime started at the very young age of 14, if not earlier. And he was only 18 years old when he committed his first of five murders. Now, the one thing about both Rissell and Devier, that the two that we're going to be talking about, there's not a lot of background as far as their childhood and, you know, all of that. Rissell was born in 1958 in Alexandria, Virginia. His dad left the family when he was pretty young and he was raised by his mother. You know, I mentioned that his sexual crime started at the age of 14. That was for rape. At 14 years old. Can you imagine? 14, man. He racked up some other convictions while in high school, burglary, you know, things like that. In 1973, he was caught after attempting to rob a woman in an elevator at knife point. So he was sent to an institution where he was given some psychological treatment. And apparently he did pretty well. Yeah. In his treatment. Okay. Either... There's two, there's two schools of thought on it. Either he was fully participating and getting out of it what he was supposed to, or he was making the staff believe that, you know, he was into it. He was doing all the right things. I kind of lean towards the second, the latter. Yeah. Because for being good. Okay. He got some temporary releases. Oh, there you go. And it was during some of these release periods that he committed additional rapes. So if he's in there and he's supposed to be, you know, getting treated and he's really doing well, is he, is he going to go out and commit, you know, a sexual crime at the first opportunity he gets? My theory is he was just telling these people what, what he, he knew they wanted to hear yeah. so that he, they would let him out. Cause eventually he does get out. He drops out of high school he wasn't a great student. He got C's and D's. But like I said, he committed his first murder at the age of 18. And it occurred on August 4th, 1976, about a month after this country's bicentennial. Remember it? Do you remember it? I don't. I was very young. I know you were in your early 20s. Oh, nice. But uh, I, I was so. way too young to remember yeah. it. I was 10. It was 10. <laughs> I, I was three. I, I really don't remember it at all. It was just like 4th of July, but just... For a much longer period of time. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, a little bit more celebration. So... It was a big deal. I, I know that. Yeah. That people, they, you know, made a big deal out of it. It's when I got my first tattoo. Was it? When you were 10? Yeah. I got the eagle, the flag. He's holding the in his yeah. beak. Yeah. Huh. It's beautiful, man. You're a real rebel at the age of 10. My whole back is covered. <laughs> you got a full back tat. Yeah, at 10. Now it's <laughs> just like 10. a little square now because I've grown up. Say. But, you know, and it's really, really expanded. <laughs> so the eagle looks a little messed up, you know, but uh, that's all right. It looks like a flying pterodactyl. Yeah, yeah. Now we are going to talk in this episode about John Douglas, you know, the famous FBI profiler. And we're going to talk about Mindhunter. Some too, you know, that the main character is, I, I think, based on Douglas, but he interviewed Rissell in prison and it was, you know, dramatized on the show. 
But the FBI, through these interviews, they were able to garner a lot of detailed information on the what and the why of the murders committed by these different people. Well, especially when it came to Rissell, they got some really good information about his very first murder. He said that his girlfriend had recently broken their relationship off in a letter, kind of a tough way to find out that your girlfriend's dumped you. Yeah. Dear John letter is never nice. Dear John letter, but there was no technology, right? You couldn't send a text with like an emoji of a dump. And I don't know what the other emoji, I'm not good with emojis. So emoji with a dump. Uh, like I'm dumping you. <laughs> yeah, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. See where you're headed. I guess that's how the kids would do it these days. Right. Probably be like three clicks with emojis and done. It's over. Move on to the next. Move on to the next one. Now, earlier in the day on August 4th, he had driven to see his girlfriend at college. But when he got there, Gibbs, he found her with another guy. It's usually not good. Never good. I think in most cases that would cause some kind of fight or, you know, something like that. But it didn't happen. He was hurt. He was angry, but he didn't do anything. He didn't confront either one of them either his ex-girlfriend or the man she was with. He simply got back into his car and he drove back to Alexandria, Virginia. Now, I know you would never handle it that way, Gibbs, but that's the way that Monty chose to go. Monty went that way. So he gets back to Alexandria and he's sitting in a parking lot. He's drinking, he's smoking weed. When he saw 26-year-old Aura Gabor, Gabor was a sex worker, but this is something that Rissell didn't know. Although in newspaper articles from that time period, she was listed as a masseuse. And it's very strange, Gibbs. You know, how many shows do we do where we're talking about killers that target sex workers, right? That is very common in the world of you know, true crime where you have a male killer, especially a serial killer. So here, Rissell's first murder turns out to be a sex worker, but he didn't even know it. So he's drunk, he's high, he's extremely angry. He's sitting in this parking lot. She pulls in and gets out of her car. Monty Rissell attacked her and made her drive him to a secluded area. Now, what he told her was that he would not hurt her if she had sex with him. So have sex with me and I won't hurt you. Yeah. Okay. But it's a, it's a sexual crime either, either way, right? It's sure. uh, he he's forcing her against her will to do something. You'd still call that rape. Well, yeah, you would. Right. He raped her. I mean, she can say, you know, whatever she needs to do to protect herself, but it's still rape. He raped and murdered Gabor. She was found in a creek down a ravine with her bra wrapped around her neck. But here's the part that they really focus on in the show. You know, Rissell would tell the FBI that while he was sexually attacking this woman, at one point she stopped resisting and in his words, allowed it to happen. And I'm using my, my air quotes here. You know, most likely Gibbs, I would think maybe this was a defense mechanism that she thought would save her life, but it didn't. It only served to make him more angry. 
really it, got him angry, didn't it? It did. It was it was almost as if she was taking away the power that he was trying to exert over her. And he would say, you know, at a certain point, she started to run away and headed down the ravine. He chased after her, caught up with her, slammed her head onto a rock, and then held her head underwater until she drowned. So again, I think Rissell is kind of strange. I don't think he sat around Gibbs for years thinking about planning to murder someone. You know, this one happened. He was depression, alcohol, weed, anger over the breakup, and he snapped. Now, the FBI really did learn a lot from people like Rissell who were willing to sit down with them and give them insight into why they did what they did. You know, a lot of things, you know, especially from Rissell, there were some classifications that would come out you know, as they were putting this FBI profiling, you know, thing kind of together, it was in its infancy. You know, guys like Russell and even Russell in particular allowed them to expand their classifications. But the FBI came later, right? Russell was already in prison by the time that Douglas and other FBI people went to interview him. After this murder happened, there was a detective working the case. After Ora Gabor was murdered and he had a history with Rissell. He knew the young man and he knew his mother from the elevator incident that had happened years earlier. And from what I understand, uh, Gibbs, he thought right off the bat that Monty Rissell could have been involved with this murder. You know, he, he knew this guy. He knew the way that you know, he thought he hadn't murdered anybody, but he knew he had something going on that wasn't, you know, quite right, but he didn't have anything solid to go on. I mean, at that point, it's more intuition than anything else. He's going to turn out to be right, but Rissell would go on to commit four more murders. And his victim choice is another thing to me that is telling. He chose victims that lived very close to him. And I believe that was a big reason why he was caught when he was. Now, maybe that's because this is a very young kid. He's 18 years old. He's probably not the smartest bulb in the pack. Right. But he did. He chose victims. You know, it was almost like within a mile radius from from where he lived. In March of 1977, Rissell raped and stabbed 22-year-old Ursula Miltenberger to death. Her body was found near a residential area with 21 stab wounds to the chest and abdomen. The body was found about a mile from her car. She had a gash on her head, her ankles were bound, and her hands were tied behind her back. She was a management trainee at a McDonald's just blocks from Russell's home at the time, and she picked him up while he was hitchhiking. So again, you and I talk a lot about hitchhiking. I know, I'm telling you. Don't, don't do hitchhike. And don't pick them up. But also, don't pick people up. Again, this was the 70s. There was a hell of a lot more hitchhiking going on back then. But you think about this young kid, and he committed that first murder. And obviously, at some point, he had to make a conscious decision. Either he enjoyed it, and he wanted to continue. Right which is, I'm assuming the 
that's what it was because he kept doing it. Well, he didn't a, he didn't commit the first murder and say, "Oh my gosh, what have I done?" Right. You got a kick out of it. I'm never going to do this again. It was the worst decision I ever made. He he derived something from it, right? And that's what happens to these people. They get some type of thrill, some type of gratification that they then have to chase. Yeah, they get that rush. Was it uh, Tommy Lynn Sales that he really got off? Oh, yeah. Tommy Lynn was one of the worst. Yeah. Strangling him, looking at him in their eyes. And it gave him, he described it as, gave him, like you said, a rush. Yeah. I mean, just filled his body with almost joy. Yeah. It's so weird to say. Literally had their hands and, you know, their life in his hands. And he loved it. Yeah. He liked. I don't know if we've ever had anybody that I felt enjoyed killing other human beings as much as Tommy Lynn Sells. He really seemed like he loved it. He did. Strangely. The next victim was 27-year-old Gladys Bradley. Bradley was a postal worker who Rissell took at knife point from an apartment complex near his house in early May 1977. And I guess he used a steak knife that he had taken from his mother's kitchen. So again, 18 years old, 19 years old, whatever he is now, Gladys had come home from a hard day's work at the post office, and she didn't even realize that you know this boy, this young man, was waiting for her, stalking her. He followed her into the elevator where he pulled the knife. He raped Gladys twice, and forced her to a nearby creek where he drowned her. Just a week after Gladys Bradley's body was found, police found the body of 24-year-old Jeanette McClellan. Jeanette was a proofreader. She was an aspiring editor. They found her body in a culvert behind the same apartment complex that Gladys lived at. They both lived there together. I mean, not not together, together. They both lived at the same apartment complex. Again, just blocks, not even a mile, right? Just blocks away from where Monty Rissell lived. On that very same day that they found McClellan's body, police found the car of a missing 34-year-old woman named Aletha Burt. Aletha was a department store worker And her car was found in a shopping center within a mile radius to where these bodies had been found and also where their cars had been found. I haven't really talked about that, but their cars were all left in essentially the same spot. I mean, we are really talking about a mile radius here. So you have a number of women that have turned up dead in a fairly short period of time. The whole city of Alexandria was in a in panic mode. Imagine that happening here, Gibbs. No oh, man. It it would it would be, you know, front page news. People would oh. be, you know, I'd be sitting in my chair loaded for bear. You would be. Not that I'm usually not anyway, but I'd be heightened even even further. I'd probably be shot just walking in. That would happen regardless. It I mean, could happen. I mean, I always dodge. I have to dodge. <laughs> Whatever you're shooting that night. Gibby, when he enters the house, he runs serpentine just in case. I do, just in case. I never know, man. 
Gibby, let's take a quick break to talk about a brand new sponsor called ExpressVPN. A hacker with the right know-how can easily intercept your data, letting them track your online activity, steal your passwords, and compromise your personal information. So I use ExpressVPN to protect myself online. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps. They run seamlessly in the background of my computer, my phone, my tablet. I have everything protected. Turning it on takes one click and ExpressVPN secures your internet browsing, gives you anonymity by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash tcat that's e-x-p-r-e-s-s-v-p-n.com slash tcat for three months free with a one-year package visit expressvpn.com slash tcat to learn more did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break-ins happen in broad daylight? As the days get longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. I've been using Simply Safe for about four or five years now, and it's the award-winning home security that I recommend. I've turned a lot of friends, family members, and fans onto it as well. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security Systems of 2024 by U.S. News and World Report and recognized for the best customer service in home security by Newsweek. They have advanced technology to protect every room, window, and door of your home. They also have a slew of cameras to keep watch for suspicious activity 24-7. Protect your home today. Our listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/tcat. That's simplysafe.com/tcat. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Monty Rissell was arrested on May 13th, but it wasn't for these murders. He was arrested on a totally unrelated charge, but as police were searching the car that he was driving, they found property that belonged to some of his victims. And, and these are things that you know they, they would have thought strange for him to have. Once they started to question him and they showed him the items from his victims, wallets, purses, combs, keys, things like that. I mean, this young man, I'm going to call him a young man. He crumbled, you know, like a fine French pastry to French uh, pastries crumble? I assume if they're made correctly. That they crumble? Yeah, you would want it to crumble. Crumble. Okay. Hell, I don't know. I'm not a pastry eater. Uh, You're not a pastry chef either. Of course. No, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't even eat pastries, though. I'm not a big... You eat French toast, maybe. I do Is that why you think you're uh, like expert in uh, French pastries? That's really the only thing I eat from the French. Hell, I don't know, Gibbs. All I'm saying is he buckled real very quickly. Use whatever uh, euphemism you want. Right. But the guy's not a seasoned pro, right? He's not this unbelievable serial killer that's been operating for 10 years and, you know, 40 years old and has lived life. This is a very young 18-year-old kid, kid, young man. 
He's not going to stand up and doesn't against questioning by police. And he quickly confessed to killing all five women and was charged with kidnap, rape, and murder of all five of these women. And police got him to dictate a 19-page statement on the murders without an attorney present. And all he really told the police is that he didn't want to die. He didn't want to get the death penalty. Always think, that's your concern. I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. But they had no problem taking their victims' lives. Yeah. Yeah, it was... I wasn't thinking about that when I killed five women, but now that I'm on the hot seat, please don't give me the death penalty. But that's probably one of the main reasons why he did crumble as fast as he did. He wanted to do whatever it took. He knew he was caught. He, he wanted to cooperate as much as he could to make sure he didn't get the death penalty. Now, we talked about Rissell's past in institutions, and we talked about that he had been under psychiatric care when he was younger. So they really wanted to evaluate his mental capacity to stand trial. But ultimately, he was found competent to stand trial. He pleaded guilty to murdering all five women. And because he did that, the prosecution dropped the rape and the kidnapping charges. And it wasn't much of a trial, right? They had some some great evidence. They had his confessions. He was convicted and sentenced to five consecutive life sentences at 18, 19 years old. Yeah. I mean, you think about a life sentence, right? If you're 60 years old, it's still life. It's the, it's the rest of your life. Right. But if you're 18 years old. Man, that's everything. You have a long time to live. You just started. Your life just started. It just started. And you're going to spend the rest of it in a six by nine, whatever size cell. Being somebody's bitch for the rest of your life. Eating bad food and... Whatever that bitch tells you to eat. But at the sentencing, right? So he got five consecutive life sentences, but at the sentencing, and I just found this telling about you know what type of individual we're talking about. This guy couldn't even muster up the courage to speak directly to the judge. At his sentencing, he had to tell his attorney to tell the judge that he was remorseful. Couldn't even say it himself out loud. So how much weight does that carry when, you know, you can't even say it in your own words? It's not helpful. That's for sure. So he gets to prison and apparently he had a lot of enemies in prison due to the crimes, the nature of the crimes that he committed, you know, sexual assaults against women. So for that reason, he spends most of his time isolated in protective custody. Apparently he has his own cell away from most of the inmates in uh, PC. Probably good. But Rissell became eligible for parole in 1995. He had served 18 years in prison five consecutive life sentences and he was eligible in 18 years. And the reason why it was supposed to be 20, but apparently they have something where you earn credits. And I don't know if that's state by state. I'm assuming it is. And I think a lot of states probably have that, but you get credits for good behavior. And this program 
awarded five days for every 30 days that you went without some type of behavior incident. Well, that's pretty good for people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good system. Yeah, it's like it's going to drop two months off your sentence every year. If you for them to incentive behave yeah. and hopefully not hurt the guards or you know, cause trouble— but he so because you know he he was pretty good in prison so he got two years lopped off or he was eligible for parole two years earlier. Now the first time he came up he was denied. Not a shocker, right? The guy's got five consecutive life yeah, sentences. I think that's like the golden rule, isn't it? First time up parole, denied. Deny. Yeah. But what's fascinating to me about Rissell is that he actually comes up for parole every single year. And I didn't know that 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 was possible. Again, that's I'm assuming that's a state by state thing. Now, every year it's been denied. And here are some of the reasons that have been documented for the denials. His history of violence indicates serious risk to the community. I would say that is a 100% true. Prior failures or convictions while under community supervision. So they're talking about I believe the sexual assaults, the rapes that he committed while he was on temporary release yeah. early in his life, you know, they think that means it's unlikely he would ever comply with any conditions of a release. Right. Release at this time would diminish the seriousness of the crimes. Sure, you have to look at the victims, victims' family. Yep. And I think the last one, serious nature and circumstance of offenses. I mean, these were cruel cruel they were brutal it was five women if he would have been let out after 18 years i think there would have been a major uproar but again he comes up every year Gibbs. so if you think about it how tough is that on the family members of these victims yeah i think it would be pretty tough you know just constantly recall 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 i mean they have to dredge all of these bad feelings these bad memories up once a year, I think that would be a nightmare. Now, they're never going to forget what happened, and they're always going to think about their loved ones, but to have to relive it in this way and, you know, whatever it is, write a letter or show up actually at the parole hearing and talk about what this guy did and why he should never be let out, that seems seems rough to have to do it every single year. I can see it Every five years, every 10 years, something like that, gearing up for it. But every year, that's on your calendar. Hey, I think even in Shawshank, they had to wait a little bit longer than that. Yeah, it seems uh, it seems quick to me. But... I don't remember Morgan going up every time. But that's it. That is the story of Monty Rissell. Cool. One down. One down. Another one to go. One to go. All right, Gibbs, let's now talk about Daryl Jean Devier. He was born in 1955, but again, there's really not that much out there on his childhood other than, you know, that it was a difficult one. He was an eighth grade dropout. He was kicked out of the army with a general discharge after less than a year in, and he was divorced at the time he committed murder. So he's not a finisher. That is true. He's, he's not good with sticking with things. Yeah. Doesn't follow through, right? I mean, didn't no, finish I, school, you could say didn't that. Finish the, army. the divorce thing, you know, that happens, but it does, you know, but the uh, not getting through school, I don't know, one year, not even one year in the service, it had to be pretty 
bad to get a general discharge. You do, but how many serial killers, I mean, he's not a serial killer, but how many killers have we talked about that did a year, less than a year mm. in because they couldn't hack it? More than it should be. More, a lot. Yeah. Quite a, quite a few, actually. Now, Devier only committed one murder, and I say only, but it was a horrific murder. But the fact that he only committed one it's most likely the reason that there's less out there on him than most of the people that we talk about. Like I said earlier, this was not a famous case. It wasn't covered around the world. It probably wasn't even covered nationally for the most part, but it was featured on the show Mindhunter. And to me, it was a very interesting part of the show. This was one of the first cases where, you know, these new, FBI profilers, including John Douglas, got to put their theories into action and show that they really worked. Because really starting out, they were just that, right? They were theories. And then as they started to be asked to get involved with some of these cases and they were able to try things out, they started to figure out what worked. And this was one of the cases that kind of showcased what what they had been working on. Now, as Devier got into adulthood, he was pretty transient, you know, moved around from place to place. But in 1979, he was living in Georgia, working as a tree trimmer. He had long, scraggly hair, and he drove a black Pinto with mag wheels. So picture that in your head. The Pinto, man. But then... Slapping some mag wheels on there like your Burt Reynolds in the smoky car or something. I actually went to school with a guy that did the same thing, man. Had a pinto and put on some mag wheels. Fancy yeah. mag wheels. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's like, you know, the guys back in the day that used to they used to spend a bunch of money to soup up like a Chevette or an escort. I never understood that. Yeah, Why don't you just take all that money and buy a nicer car? Get a real one? Instead of you know, spending thousands and thousands of dollars to soup up this. And it wasn't even a nice Escort or Chevette. You know, it was like some old junky clunker. And they were just throwing money into this stuff with CD players and subwoofers and rims and things like that. I never understood that, man, ever. Well, let's see what kind of car you had. What kind of car did I have? Yeah. My first car was a Grand Am. A two-door Grand Am. Yeah. 1986 Grand Am. Okay. That's pretty, it was a nice little car. That was your high school, what, you drove in high school? I did. Yeah. And then what you about rolled, you? Then you rolled into what? Um, actually, I think I went from that to, I think I had a hand-me-down like Toyota Camry at one point. But then I bought like my first pickup truck that I paid for myself. And then after that. That was it? That was it. Yeah. What, what was your first car? A Chevette souped up. Souped <laughs> up Chevette. <laughs> Do you have like the rims that rolled when the car would stop? Yeah, the rolling rims. Whatever you call those. Uh, spinners. The, the Alpine uh, stereo system that you, you took the face off and walked in anywhere you went. So no one wanted to take it, you know. I did have uh, I did have some tins uh, in the trunk of that Grand Am with the Rockford Fosgate Am. Did you? Yeah. You rocked it, didn't you? I did. That was back during my rap days. Yeah. When I first got that bad boy. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to Devier. He's rocking the black Pinto with the mag wheels. Yeah. And wait till you see a picture of this guy. He's kind of scary looking. The guy that played him in the show, you know, they, they made his hair long. They made him look a little dirty. Yeah. But he didn't look scary. The real 
guy to me looks scary. Got a little scary look to it. Yeah, he he's got a scary look to him for sure. So he's working as a tree trimmer. And it was in November of 1979 that his company sent him on a job near Adairsville, Georgia. And on November 30th, 12-year-old Mary Frances Stoner was kidnapped just after getting off the school bus at the end of the dirt drive that led to her house. And authorities at all levels, Gibbs, they came together very quickly. You know, that was around 4 p.m., And they started doing ground searches, air searches for the eighth grader, but they couldn't find her. Now, what they did find out is that shortly before 4 p.m. that day, two witnesses saw a dark blue or black Pinto with mag wheels. That's the other thing. You're really making your car stand out, I think. Yeah, I mean, how many Pintos with mag wheels on it were rolling? Well, I mean. Just this guy and your buddy. My buddy up here, yeah. So these witnesses saw this Pinto with mag wheels parked about 150 feet from the stoner's driveway. And they described the driver as a white male with long hair and a beard. There were also several students on the school bus that said they saw this car and the man driving it. And they know that Mary Stoner was dropped off just before four, 355 to four. It's a very small window. Very small. And those buses run fairly regular as far as time, unless something major happens. A student on the bus that was the next one to get off after Mary, she also saw the Pinto, but said that she saw it backing out of the stoner driveway. And when she saw it, it had two people in it. So quite a number of witnesses already, but no Mary. But it would just be the next day, Gibbs, that the body of Mary Frances Stoner was found at 11 a.m. by four deer hunters who were walking through a wooded area just south of Adairsville. Her head was crushed and there were several bloodstained rocks near her body. The biggest of these rocks, they said, weighed 49, 50 pounds. So it was a sizable rock. The doctor that conducted the autopsy noticed, you know, in addition to the obvious head injuries, some fresh tears and bruising in her vaginal area and discovered, you know, inside her vagina, some sperm. Yeah. So very quickly, I think they're, they're putting this together. You know, this poor young girl was raped. And then she was bludgeoned to death with a big rock. Now, Devier made the suspect list pretty pretty early on. They brought him in for questioning, but he didn't give the police anything. He even agreed to take a polygraph, but the results were inconclusive. So this is when the sheriff decided to reach out to the FBI, talk to John Douglas, filled him in on the details of the murder, and John Douglas put together a profile and he said the killer will probably be a divorced white male in his mid twenties will drive a black or blue car and work at some type of laborer's job. He said, you're probably going to find out that the suspect had some type of prior contact with the victim. He's probably going to be a high school dropout who served in the army or Marines 
but probably got a medical or dishonorable discharge after fewer than six months in. Dang, man. He's almost hitting this. Right on. Right on. He's very, very close. He said, I think he'll have a previous record of sex crimes. And if he was to be given a lie detector test, the test would be inconclusive or it might show no deception at all. So this is what he tells the sheriff on the phone. And I don't know how much closer you can get. Pretty darn close. Without knowing who the hell you're talking about exactly. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Let me ask you all a question. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, go fishing? Well, a lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. You have to know what's important to you to know how you would use that extra time and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've used the BetterHelp service before and it's great. I love the fact that you you can get matched with a licensed therapist, have a session from the comfort of your own home through your computer. I don't have to get in my truck, drive, sit in the waiting room, nothing like that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TCAT today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash T-C-A-T-T. Hey, TCAT fans, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Now it's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the pasta lover, and yes, the true crime fan. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality, TV and gaming. There's something for everyone on Etsy. I bought a lot of stuff on Etsy for the studio, true crime related stuff. It's just a great place to browse. You'll find all kinds of amazing items. And it's a great place to get a gift for a friend, a family member, a loved one in your life. A gifting moment is always around the corner. But whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode now. So as you can imagine, the sheriff was kind of floored by this because he tells Douglas, you know what, you just described a suspect we had and and just released. And he knew as Douglas was ticking off all these things, everything fit Daryl Jean Devier. But again, he wasn't giving himself up and there were no witnesses to the actual murder. So John Douglas and others from the FBI, they flew to Georgia to interview Devier. And Gibbs, this is where I think Mindhunter did a really good job with telling the story of how they worked the interview with this guy. But first of all, they thought that just by them, the FBI being there, it might intimidate him much more so than, you know, let's say the local cops, the local sheriff, but they laid out a plan that involved interviewing him at night in a dimly lit room. And they staged folders around the room that they filled with paper. Some of the paper was just blank. Right. 
because they wanted to make it seem as though they had volumes of information on him, right? We're the FBI. We know everything. We've got four, five, six massive folders on you. We know every facet of your life. So they're talking to him. They're questioning him. At one point, they hit him pretty hard with the issue of blood spatter. You know, talking about the fact that it's nearly impossible for someone to clean that up completely. I'm talking to him about not being able to get out of your shoes, out of your clothes, things like that. But to me, the big thing they did was they brought in the big rock, you know, this 50 pound rock that was covered with blood that they recovered from the crime scene. I mean, this was the rock that was used to crush this little girl's head. And what they did was they they just stuck it right there on the table. Just laid it right there. Just laid it out right there. So, you know, this guy had no choice. He couldn't take his eyes off of this big rock. He knew what he had done, and he knew that this is what he had used to, you know, crush her skull. Apparently, he started sweating. His breathing got labored. They knew. Right? They could tell all of a sudden he had gone from in the beginning being pretty cool, calm and collected yeah. to now he's shitting bricks. Yeah. Big time. He has done a complete 180 in, you know, the way that he's acting. And it in large part was being confronted with this murder weapon. I think they even had in there, at least they, they did on the show. They had some of her, like maybe what she was wearing, her baton. I, I, I don't like know. That. On the show, I think they went and bought a baton, but I think they had some other things in there that, you know, that were of hers that he was able to see. But to me, it was the rock. The rock was the big thing. And eventually they, they lowered the boom, right? They done all of this trying to set him up and they tell him that they know he killed Mary Frances Stoner. But they really used a lot of psychology in this interview, in this discussion with Devier. You know, they talked about the death penalty a lot and they tried to make him believe that they didn't think he planned this out and that if he only told them what happened, it would go a long way towards him probably not getting death. Right. So a lot of psychology. Sure. And eventually he broke down and he confessed to murdering Mary Frances Stoner. And after he confessed to the crime, he admitted that he had been obsessed with this 12-year-old girl, Mary Stoner, for weeks. Right? He was working this job as a tree trimmer on her street. He was seeing her leave for school. He was seeing her come home from school. That's the first time he saw her. And he continued to see her for however many days that that gig lasted, that they were working on that street. Now, they weren't. he wasn't working on the street by the time the murder happened. Right. But this is when he saw it's her. It's what led, led up to him. Yeah. It's what led to him seeing her. He had moved on. You know, his company moved to another job, but he didn't forget this girl. They would talk to some of the, the other guys that worked on the tree trimming crew with Devier. And they would say that, you know, he talked about this girl a lot for 
the two, three, four days, whatever it was that they were there, right. talked about how good looking she was, how much he wanted to have sex with her. They said that he often said things like, it's time for the good looking girl to get home from school. Devier made a statement, which was transcribed and, and was eventually admitted into evidence at his trial. But he said that he had been driving his black Pinto that afternoon looking for a place to rent when he saw the school bus just as Mary Stoner was getting off. After it left, he pulled into the driveway and asked her for some directions. She came to the car, got into the passenger seat to look at a piece of paper that he had, and that's when he grabbed her and drove off. He drove her to an isolated wooded area. He stopped the car and he told her to get into the back seat. And it was at this point, Gibbs, that she asked him, are you going to rape me? And he told her yes. Now, in his statement, he said they had sexual intercourse, which I don't like because that sounds like consensual, that it's consensual. And this obviously was not right. This was his statement, the statement he made. But after they did, he said he made her get out of the car. Now, what he said in his statement was that his intention was to tie her to a tree and leave her there and take off. But that she yelled at him. She started hitting him and he pushed her. And when he pushed her, she fell and she hit her head on this big rock and he got scared. And that's when... You know, he started choking her to make sure that she was dead. Then he left. Now, John Douglas has said that he believes Devier realized after the sexual assault that he had to murder Mary Stoner because she could easily ID him. So he, he has a little bit different take. And I would tend to believe Douglas. He's got a pretty good track record. And that seems to make a lot of sense, right? He did something. Maybe it was planned out. Maybe it was, as he said, kind of spur of the moment off the cuff. He saw her. He had been fantasizing about her already. But I can much more easily believe that at a certain point when all of this was going on, in his head it popped up that, hey, I can't leave this girl alive. Right. I'm going to get caught. So I got to do what I have to do to not get caught. Now, I don't think he wanted to say it that way. He wanted to, as a lot of them do, make it look, smooth it out a little, make it a little less, I'm a monster. Right. Didn't work though. No, because you know, if you really, if you break down his statement, it's like, yeah, I pushed her. She tripped. She hurt herself. And it's almost like as if I choked her. I made sure that she was out of her misery, right? There's a, there's a tinge to it where he's almost saying I I did something for her. Oh, but we know he didn't No, but it's almost like he's trying to make people believe that's what he did. The Devier was arrested and charged with kidnapping, rape and murder. So he started his first trial, but it was declared a mistrial because apparently there was a juror that was found to have discussed the case with somebody that they weren't supposed to be talking about the case with. His second trial occurred in early 1982. 
So you had some of the members of his tree trimming crew that had worked at the stoner home before the murder. They testified about the sexual remarks that he made about Mary Stoner. The testimony about his confession was admitted to trial. I mean, that's huge, right? That is huge. He, you know, he admitted to the murder and pretty easily a jury convicted him and sentenced him to death for the rape and murder of 12-year-old Mary Frances Stoner. Now, we are in Georgia. They don't mess around in Georgia. It's kind of like Texas, I think, in some ways. Now, a bunch of people in Texas just went like, you, you did not just say compare us to any other state. Well, I, don't think, I don't think they'll take it as a bad comparison. So what I'm saying is the comparison is I think they're, both states are very tough with sentencing. Yeah. And we just talked about Monty Rissell, who raped and killed five women, and he didn't get the death penalty. He got five life sentences, but was eligible for parole after 18 years. So, you know, if you look at the two, you can kind of weigh them that way. Oh, I think you're right. Well, I'm glad you do, because you know how much your opinion means to me. Very little to nothing. It means everything, man. Everything. Here's coming to tears, man. So in 1983, the Georgia Supreme Court reversed the conviction on the grounds that the grand jury pool was underrepresented of women, didn't have enough women on the grand jury pool. So he had to go to trial again. And he did, was retried in November of that year and convicted again. But Devier kept appealing, as they all do. Sure. But his would kind of be a roller coaster. In 1989, a district court upheld the conviction, but they granted him a new sentencing trial. So they said, you're still guilty, but we're taking away the death sentence. So maybe I have to backtrack a little bit on my statement. Maybe. Maybe, but we'll see. But the reason they gave for this was that there was information introduced at his first sentencing about an alleged rape that he committed earlier against another woman. I believe this is something that he confessed to. But he was never tried. So obviously, if he wasn't tried, he was never convicted. And the courts felt like it was wrong to introduce that at sentencing when he wasn't convicted of that crime. And it wouldn't be until four years later, in 1993, that the U.S. Circuit Court reversed that ruling, the ruling that had set aside his death sentence. So now he's back. He's got death again. Shady's back. Shady's back. So that's why I said it was a roller coaster, right? He's 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 on death row. Not on. Now he's not on. Then four years later, a court comes back and says, you know what? You are going to be put to death. He's back on. He's back on. And he was executed on May 17th, 1995. After, you know, what I said, it was a whole bunch of appeals. The very last one was denied at noon that day. And he was executed just an hour or two after that. Was he waiting for the governor? He was. But what's really... So he was 38 years old at the time that he was executed. But even his execution didn't go the way that, you know, people had planned for it to go. He was actually set to be executed two days earlier. But they had this massive storm that knocked out the power. 
and apparently the backup generators failed. It also knocked out the phone lines. Yeah. So if he was to get a call from the governor, as you said, wouldn't came through. It wouldn't have come through. So they couldn't they couldn't put him to death. Just in case. And it's actually a really good thing they didn't because the U.S. Supreme Court granted him a temporary stay, but they only found out about it after the state attorney general jumped in his car with a cell phone. This is 1995. Right. So he's probably got one of those Motorola gray flip phones. Like Mommy Vice. For those. No, that was the brick. Oh, that was a brick. I'm talking about this is still a brick, a smaller brick. And the very bottom of it flipped flipped out. out. Do you remember that? Yep. A lot of people that are are old enough to remember it will because that was kind of a lot of people had them, right? You didn't have like 3,000 cell phones to choose from. You had this big gray hunk of plastic or this black one. (laughs) Yeah, it was really your only options. But it's kind of amazing, right? So he jumped in his car, he had his cell phone, and he drove until he found a signal. And that's when he found out that you know, he actually was granted a stay of execution. So I don't know what would have happened, Gibbs, if they would have gone forward right. and carried out the execution to find out later that the U.S. Supreme Court granted a temporary stay. I don't know what, what could have happened. The guy would have been dead. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have been good. Everybody act like, would have to act like it didn't happen. Like, uh, what do you mean a stay? No, we didn't give a stay. We met stay right where you're at. But like I said, the, the stay was temporary. It was lifted within a couple of days and he was executed like two days later. I just found that kind of fascinating in how it all played out. Devier had no final statement at his execution, but I couldn't find any information about his last meal, Gibbs. You know how much I like to talk do, about man. last meals. I couldn't find it. Well, what do you think it was? Um... <clears throat> Judging by his picture and the way he looked, I'm going to go with a cherry pie, two big things of chocolate milk, okay, a bucket of KFC, <laughs> shrimp, yeah, and some Coca-Cola to wash it down. Okay. Probably some french fries. He looks like a french fry guy. Gotcha. I'm just trying to what am I leaving out? You didn't say anything about fruits or veggies, but no, he doesn't look. Meals, you're not going to. He do doesn't that. when he doesn't look like a fruit veggie guy to me. Like I said, he's he's pretty scary looking, but that's it. That is the story of both Monty Rissell and Gene Devier. Yeah. So what was it like doing two stories in one? Was that two stories? Uh huh. I just thought we changed the name to to you know protect the innocent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think it works. I mean, people will let us know what they what they think. It wouldn't be something that we would do all the time, but no. I think every now and then if we had a couple of very interesting cases that just didn't have, you know, gobs of information. But this is true crime all the time. It is. And sometimes you're going to have cases that will take a couple episodes. Sometimes you're going to have cases that just won't fill an episode, so we... Wait till we have a couple like that and back them up together because you still want to hear about them. Sure. You know, if you true love true crime, you're going to want to hear about it, even if it's only for uh, part of the segment. If it's only 30 minutes and then you get another 30 minutes. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's like a really a pretty good deal because you're getting to hear two for the price of one. You know what we could do is we and could, it's free or we could put two out, two 30 minute ones. 
Yeah, man, it's a pain. Not for me. I don't do anything. <laughs> it would be a little more work for me. But. Yeah. All right, Gibbs. We got some voicemails. We got voicemails? Yeah, you want to like hear voicemails. those? Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, new listener. I just started binge watching your show a few weeks ago. I'm on. I just listened to the newest episode, which was, uh, what was that one about? Oh, yeah, the West, the Wesley Allen one. I don't know if it was the newest one. I don't know. It's hard to keep track nowadays. But, yeah, no, I, we're graveyard at a gas station, and I just listen to you guys nonstop throughout the entire night. It's actually pretty nuts, the stuff you guys say and the reactions I see from the people that come in, because I live in such a small conservative town that when these people come in and they hear the stuff that you guys are talking about and the jokes you guys are making, it puts a smile on my face to see the weird looks that comes, on, that comes off on their face. But I just want to let you guys know, uh, you guys are doing a great job. You guys are definitely one of my favorite podcasts, and it's a blast listening to you guys every night. Yeah, keep up the good work, guys. Bye. So that was awesome. That's good. We love when we uh, when we get new listeners and they decide to call in. And so I will tell you this: I used to work the graveyard shift at a gas station in Detroit from time to time. Yeah, I, I may have mentioned this before, but when I worked in Detroit and you know, there was a manager of each gas station, and when when the manager would call off, I would have to go in and right. So, man, that can be lonely. Yeah, I did a couple you, couple graveyard shifts. In gas stations or somewhere else? No, I worked a graveyard shift at uh, a hotel, and then I did it again as a security guard at this uh, Cargill facility. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you were just by yourself. Well, that would time. be lonely, too. The thing about the gas station is, I mean, you can go an hour. Yeah. Maybe even longer sometimes where nobody comes in. I'd be grabbing chips. and. Oh, I used to drink and eat and yeah that'd be the bad part you know i probably paid for it i'm gonna say i paid for it well you're working on it now <laughs> i just want to let you know all of the nashville talk you had about assless chaps was cringeworthy i'm born and raised in nashville and i've never owned a pair of cowboy boots and i hate country music <laughs> so it's funny to listen to that i um have a unique perspective on the fact that everybody gets Shortened sentences. I know Gibby hates it, but I used to work for sentence management for the Department of Corrections, and it has to do with the range of the offender. If they've never had it, they are range one. Um, it goes all the way up to five, and it's the percentage. So, yes, it does suck that they don't spend all their time in jail or in prison, um, but that's just the way it goes, you know, so, um, really enjoy the podcast. I don't know what else to say. Um, but yeah, thank you for the podcast and keep your own time to get think. Bye. All right. I love that because you're, you and I gives, we always like when people call in with very specific information Yes. related to, you know, the podcast and things like that. Right. I don't know if that is the same all across the country or just where she is. But again, I don't have an issue so much with people getting out for, you know, petty things and smaller crimes early, right. things like that. I, I have an issue with some of the ones that we talk about. I mean, they're committing, short of murder, some very serious sexual crimes and things yeah. like that. And I just feel like they're getting out very, very quickly. Well, now, a, a lot of these are back in time too. Right. And that, that plays a factor, but I, I definitely get what she's saying. And I appreciate her calling in and, and kind of enlightening us on that. Always good to have some enlightening. 
<laughs> or enlightenment. They're both good. Yeah, it's how do you want, it depends what you're looking for that day. Right. Sometimes you want enlightening. Yeah. Sometimes you want enlightenment. Well, you get a zap. Zap or a a zip. Zap. Hi, good day. This is Dem, and I'm calling from the Philippines. I think I'm the first caller from the Philippines. But, yeah, I've, I've came across your podcast a couple of months ago, and I've been listening to you guys since way back. Every time I'm at work or every time I'm home, it's just chat all the time. So I'm, I'm Team Gibe, but I'm trying to get some um, Harley coins or whatever that was <laughs> for Mike. And hopefully I can get that over the weekend. But if not, well, I'll try again sometime. And um, again, thanks so much. It's so fun listening to you guys while I'm at work. And keep your own time ticking. Have a good day. Bye. Well, I can say that's our first call from the Philippines. It is from the Philippines. Is that an accent? I don't know. The Philippines really have an accent. I, don't, I just remember, uh, remember, what's her name, had all the shoes from the Philippines. Is that a, a Melda... Marcos? Yes. Is that who that is? Yeah. They always would show her closet with all her thousands and thousands of shoes. She did have a lot of shoes. Yeah. Hmm. That's what I remember. I don't know why. So that's all you remember in the history of history, or that's all you remember about the Philippines? The Philippines. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just that's, make sure. that's where I'm at right now. So <laughs> That's where your head's at. Yeah. It's always good to know where Gibby's head's at in yeah. a well, particular it's, situation. Well, it's out, oh, out in the open, you know? <laughs> your head is out yeah. in the open. <laughs> Oh, all right. We appreciate those voicemails. We do have some mailbag gibs. Dina Reynolds sent us some Harley can koozies. One for me, one for you. Cool. You can keep your... You're going to try to think of some uh, not manly drink? Is that what you're thinking? No, I was actually trying to think of the beer that I thought you liked. I like Blue Moon. Is, is it Blue Moon? Blue Moon. I, was, I don't know why I was thinking it was like um, Yingling or... Line and Kugels, but yeah. you don't like that, huh? I mean, I'll drink it. Well, I know you'll drink it, but so Blue Moon. All right, so you can keep your Blue Moon cold. And there was a magnet in there, too, a Harley magnet, which was cool. And you can keep your Bartles and James. <laughs> so, I didn't hit you, but you're going to come back and hit me. That's cool. No, that's all right. I was going to say. It's, it's the way this chair, this chair gonna, gets to me, man. I was going to say something about you choosing Blue Moon. Not the manliest of beers. It's actually pretty good. Don't get me good. wrong. But you know? Well, Blue Moon with a chaser of Jack. Okay. Yeah. And all his friends. Jim and... How many friends he got? He got a few. Tito. Yeah, Tito. Mark. All right. It gives we had another Harley Chip mail sorter disaster. Oh, no. They told us what to tell everybody how to ship them. So Jeff Buck sent me a chip from Dallas, but I didn't get to see it because it popped through a chip size hole in the envelope. And again, victimized by the Postal Service mail sorter. But I want to thank Jeff very much for the thought and taking the time to send that in. There is a Postal Service lost and found. You got their website. Pretty soon, they're going to have a whole shitload of poker chips, Harley Harley Davidson poker chips. Yeah, and then our good friend Jess Huey, yeah, sent in some of her pottery. I've been giving her a hard time for probably over a year. Oh, when she's always posting pictures of this awesome pottery. Yeah, and I keep saying, "Okay, where's our pottery? Where's it at?" So what she actually made was. 
magnets. Yeah. And they're really cool. I've never seen, I guess, would you call it a pottery magnet? Yeah, that's what I would call it. So one of them, we each got two. Yeah. One of ours says true crime all the time. We both got that. Yeah. And then I got a Team Fergie and you got a, a hashtag. They both say Team Gibby. Team Gibby. No. <laughs> she sent me the Team Gibby too. Yeah. Yeah. So we appreciate that and we thank Jess. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is it for another episode of True Crime All the Time. So for Mike and Gibby, stay safe and keep your own time ticking. Is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Ding! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice. Only on Freebie.